If you guys have uh, your Bible with you, open and find the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. Tonight we are moving ahead in our study in the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a series that we'll be in through this whole school year. Um, and uh, yeah, on Wednesday nights, that's where we're in the parables all school year. So with just a few interruptions along the way, and I'll just, uh, I'll just rehash again the first of those interruptions in this series is going to come up in a few weeks, which is our International Missions Festival. And uh, I, again, I hope you'll take advantage of being here. We have missionaries literally from all over the world that we've sent out and some others that are going to be here. The reason that's going to interrupt our, um, our parables is because if you've never been here for that um, on Wednesday night, we still have a CBS on that night, on that Wednesday night, but instead of having the normal teaching, all, most all of the missionaries who have been here all week are in here that night, all across the front, and we have like a panel discussion um, with the missionaries. Uh, that doesn't take the whole time. Really, we try to build that into just some of the time, and then at the end of it, you guys can have one-on-one conversations with everybody. It's a really good time. Um, so anyway, um, we're thinking about the parables. Uh, and you know the subtitle of this series is Life with Jesus. Um, I made that the subtitle because I think that, that the, uh, that's exactly what these parables are. They give us a window in story form uh, into what, what does life with Jesus, what does life in his, in his kingdom, what does that look like in my life? Um, Jesus himself told us that's what the parables are about. We saw that a couple of weeks ago when we, told, when we looked at the purpose of the parables in Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus uh, said he had a purpose in these parables. He had a purpose for believers who have eyes to see. And his, he said in Matthew 13 that his purpose in these parables, for believers is to reveal to believers the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom. And, uh, and, and these are, in these early parables that we've looked at this semester have as their focus, and I'm talking about the parable of the sower last week and, and the one we're going to look at tonight, um, they have as their focus how a person comes into that kingdom, how a person begins life with Jesus. How does a person start and enter into that kingdom life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week was the parable of the sower, and the focus of that parable was like was on the soil. What kind of soil receives the seed of the gospel, receives it and, and, and cherishes it and perseveres in it and bears fruit. Tonight, our focus is going to be on another very well-known parable of, of, that Jesus told about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Um, and uh, it, it also is a parable that Jesus told, and it focuses on how a person comes to him and begins that walk with Jesus, begins that life in his kingdom. So if you're in Luke chapter 18, let's take a closer look at it. Uh, Luke 18, our focus will be on verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you 
that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, let's pray. Lord, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And Lord, I ask that you would um, give us eyes to see the truth and what the Lord Jesus teaches us here. Would you give us minds to understand it? Oh, Lord, would you give us hearts to embrace it? Receive this seed in the good soil of our hearts like you intended it for us? And that means seeing ourselves for who we are and seeing you for who you are. And would you give us... Um, wills to obey whatever you call us to do would you give us all ears to hear would you give me the help that i need to teach and i ask in jesus name amen okay maybe maybe one thing that i said last week that maybe you remember is that when you study these parables um the parable parables almost always if not always have one central message to them like they're there to tell make one central point and there may be a lot of different elements, elements that you feel like are important to notice and talk about. But, but you, almost always, every element in the parable is going to be some kind of contributor to that one central point. It's going to be connected to that one point. And uh, we see that kind of thing very clearly in this short but amazing parable tonight of the Pharisee and the tax collector. There are several different elements in it that we're going to take notice of but, they're, but, but only because they're helpful to see the one overall main point. Um, so if you're taking notes, here are the different things that I want us to see. First, I'm going to say a word about the preface, the preface that Jesus gives, or Luke, rather, gives in verse 9 um, to set up the parable that Jesus would tell, the preface. And then as we consider the parable itself in verses 10 to 13, there are three things connected to that I want us to see. I want us to think about the people the people that Jesus chose to highlight. He chose to highlight a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. What do we need to know about each of those? So the people involved. Second, which is the third point, the postures. Um, Jesus very specifically draws attention to the posture, the, 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 the bodily posture of each of the men as they, come, as they come to the temple to pray. And then the next is the prayers, which the each of their prayers is, is, is collected here. So we're going to consider the prayers that they pray. And all of these, all of these, the, the preface, the people, the postures, the prayers, all lead to ultimately the point of the whole thing, which he gives in verse 14. So that's the, that's the five points, but we're not going to be here all night, I promise. The preface, the people, the postures, the prayers, and the point. Plenty for us to think about. 
So let's, let's start with the preface in verse 9. So look at that verse again with me. So he, told, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time on that verse because it doesn't require a whole lot of explanation, but we do at least need to make sure that we see what he's saying. He told this parable. It says he told this parable. And, 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 and we saw, again, two weeks ago that there are two different purposes in, in the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus as he told these parables. One purpose for believers, another purpose for unbelievers. For believers, his, his point in telling any of these parables for believers is that it might lead them to life in him. It might lead them to life in his kingdom because the, 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 the soil uh, of their hearts is good and it's going to receive what he's going to say. It's not, going to not only going to understand the parable, but receive it well and persevere in it. But for unbelievers, Jesus would tell parables just like this one to un for an, a separate purpose for unbelievers. That is, that they may understand the point of this parable, but they don't receive it. And he's telling it on purpose because he told them something very clear that they, they understand, but they don't receive it. That hardens their hearts further renders them deeper into judgment. It's a hard truth, but that's what Jesus said he told these. And Luke, in this preamble, this preface, sets up the forthcoming parable with a window into why many would not receive what Jesus said here in this parable. And Luke says that it's because deep down, they trust in themselves that they are righteous. They, that, that word, that they trust in themselves. They, they, it can be, they have confidence in themselves. Um, that as they see the world, as they see the things in the world around them, as they see themselves in the world, they feel like, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm righteous. We're going to see that, certainly when we see the prayer of the Pharisee. Luke does add this other tidbit, that because they were so confident in their own goodness in their own righteousness, they did not treat other people very well. They treated them with contempt or literally with disdain. He, they looked down on other people. So that is essentially the preface. The reason Jesus told this parable is because there are people out there who put a lot of confidence in their own goodness and in their own righteousness. Um. At least by one metric they do, which we talked about this past Sunday morning by comparing themselves, our, ourselves with other people. I just want you to keep that. It's not a complicated point, but that is his point. Why am I telling this parable? Why did Jesus tell this parable? Because there's people out there that think they're good. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we move through this parable because you might not know what I'm going to say later on, but trust me, as we're sitting here tonight, um, Jesus is telling this parable to us. Okay, far more than you might realize, Jesus is telling this parable to us. Um, having said that, let's think about a few elements of the, of the parable. For one thing, it centers on two different people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. So let's think about the people involved in this parable. So Jesus introduces these two characters in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. Pharisees were... You, I mean, this is basic. If you know your New Testament, know your scriptures, you're familiar with the Pharisees. Pharisees. Uh, they were the most influential Jewish religious leaders of the day. They were, they were typically uh, middle-class people um, 
who were middle class religious leaders. The Sadducees were the, were the rich ones, the wealthy ones. The Pharisees were more the middle class. Think about, think about like the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, and what was his trade? He was a tent maker, right? Those were the Pharisees. They weren't, uh, they weren't wealthy, but they were, they were very influential because they were zealous for knowing and trying outwardly to keep the law of Moses because they believed it was through their strict adherence, outward adherence to the law, if they just obeyed enough that God would bring blessing on Israel, on the nation, through sending in the Messiah as they understood him to be, which was more military in nature than what Jesus came as. But in their, out, in their outward conformity to the law, to the law's demands and requirements, their outward performance of that they were pretty good at that. I mean, Paul, the apostle, even after being a believer, Paul would say about himself as a Pharisee, Philippians 3, 6. This is Paul's testimony about himself when he was a Pharisee. He said in Philippians 3, 6, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Even, even Jesus said, looking at the outside of the Pharisees, they look clean. They look clean. And the Pharisees wanted so badly to keep the law of, of Moses perfectly that they built hedges around it. Um, if the law says don't go that far, then, then we say you shouldn't even go this far. Because if you keep our outward tradition, if you, if you don't go this far, you're certainly not going to go that far. So we're going to build extra protections around the law. And that, 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 was their, that was their traditions. They thought they were doing a good thing. But then, that's the Pharisee. Super clean guy. Feels like he's, he's good. He's, 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 he's dotting the I's. He's crossing the T's. And he's doing a really good job of it. Outwardly. But then, Jesus introduces us to the, the tax collector. Who were they? Well, in those days of the Roman Empire, there was, not surprisingly, a fairly sophisticated system of collecting taxes for the Roman government. And there was a kind of a hierarchy among the, the, the tax collectors. Um, Jesus doesn't specify which kind of tax collector this was, so let's just think about a, a couple of varieties of them in that day. Uh, there was a, a top-of-the-chain kind of tax collector those guys, we actually have an example of in the Bible. If you turn over just one chapter into Luke 19, you'll meet him. His name is Zacchaeus. Uh, it says he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. That's what it says about him. Zacchaeus, uh, Zacchaeus was not one of those tax collectors that would have been sitting in the tax booth on the street. That's, that's the kind that Jesus' disciple Levi was. Just sitting in the street. No, Zacchaeus, a guy, the chief tax collector, he had worked his, his way up long past that, and now he had people working under him. And the, the guys working under him, they were the tax collectors that you see on the street, that they were just sitting on the street. And, and, and of all that they collected, Zacchaeus would get a cut. That's why not only was he a chief tax collector, but he was rich. And if you had enough guys under you working like that, you got pretty rich pretty fast. That was Zacchaeus, for example. They didn't like the guy. What about the guy who was sitting on the street in the tax booth? Was he as hated as 
somebody like Zacchaeus. Absolutely. Why? Because he was getting, he was trying to get rich just as much as Zacchaeus was, and he was just as dishonest in the way he was trying to do it. Now, how did they do it? Well, they knew that, hey, if the Roman government told them we need to collect X amount of money, and I know that I've got to collect that amount, and I know that my boss is going to want a cut of that, so I've got to take enough, not just for the Romans, but for my boss, but hey, I want to make money too, so I've got to take what, what I can skim off, then send that to my boss so he can skim off, so that when you get it on, the Romans can get what they want. That's, that's how you do it. And just imagine if you're an ordinary citizen, and the tax collector is sitting there, and you're walking down the street, and there's the tax collector, and he tells you, you owe taxes to the Roman government, and you say, how much do I owe? Whatever he tells you, you know that he's not right. That's not what I owe, but what can you do about it? What kind of recourse do you have? You have no, uh, you have no way other than to pay what he said. You just do what he tells you to do. And these were su- such ungodly guys. The tax collectors were extremely dishonest, which is why more than any other, in the phrases where tax collectors are used, more than any other one, three or four times, you see the phrase in the New Testament, tax collectors and sinners. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, you even have in Matthew, Matthew 21, 31, you have, uh, you have a phrase like, like this, if I can find it, Matthew twenty one thirty one. Truly, Jesus said to them, "Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you." I mean, so tax collectors are lumped in with prostitutes in Matthew twenty one thirty one. Uh, even unbelievers like the Roman order Cicero, Cicero lumped in his writings. He lumped tax collectors in. He was a Roman. I mean, he even lumped tax collectors in with beggars, thieves, and robbers. And one more thing about this particular parable, though, in Luke 18, um, which would have also been true of Jesus' uh, disciple Levi. In this parable, Jesus presents the tax collector as going up where? Where? Where's the tax collector going up to in this parable? The temple. I mean, come on, guys, read. Where is he going? You were like, the, the, the temple, the temple. The temple. Who went to the temple? Jews. <laughs> Thanks for being bold. You're not wrong, though. The tax collector did go up but it meant he was a Jewish tax collector, which he was the worst kind. Because this, this, it, for a Jew to be a tax collector, this was a Jew that had turned on his own people and was in bed with the Romans. Everybody hated the tax collectors, but the Jews had a special hatred for Jewish tax collectors. But it says, as it says, both of these men went up to the temple to pray. And went up, literally, meant that. The temple was up on a high up on a hill, so they went up. Um, it's like, think about 
Psalm 121. This is in the Psalm, this is a neighborhood of the Psalms called Psalms of Ascent, Psalms of Going Up. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? They're looking up to the temple. They quite literally went up. But before we think about what it says, they went up to pray. Before we think about what they said when they prayed, Jesus first mentions their postures there in that temple. Let me just say a quick word about that. And here I want to focus mainly on two aspects of their postures that Jesus said is careful to point out. Notice for one that both men are standing. It says in verse 11 that the Pharisee was standing to pray. And in verse 13, it says the tax collector was also standing. Standing was a, a common posture of prayer in that day. You know, Jesus showed that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, um, in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's 5, when Jesus talked about the hypocrites. He said of the hypocrites, they love to stand in the street corners so that they may be seen by others when they prayed. So they stood there to pray. But that's a negative connotation. Standing wasn't always a negative. It wasn't presented that way. Because even Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul said, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. That imagery being that they are standing and lifting their hands to the heavens when they prayed. Um, I'll add, by the way, the reason I'm pointing that out is because uh, posture matters. Posture matters. Um, what we do with our bodies when we worship, when we pray, it matters. Um, it's, it's how God designed us to stand, to lift our hands to him, to bow, to kneel, to lie prostrate on the, on the floor. Um, he made us that way. Children, this sounds elementary because it is. Children, I have four of them, learn better. Little kids learn better when you do what? You teach them motions. When you teach kids motions, they'll remember whatever it is they were doing while they were doing the motions. We just think we grew out of that. We didn't. Um, I, think that, I think there's... That you, it, it feels different when we... When we sing, if, if we did those first three songs and you were just sitting here while you sang, wouldn't that have felt different than standing up to sing those songs? Right? And there's something in prayer that is, is different if, if in your prayer you're standing hands open to heaven or you're lying on your face on the floor. Um, yeah, we learn better in what we're doing when we... Add motions to it. But Jesus adds a couple of other important indicators here. They weren't just standing, but the Pharisee was standing, it says in verse 11, by himself. More on that phrase in just a minute. So that he was standing by himself, and the tax collector in verse 13 was standing far off. Now, let me say a quick word about each of those, and let me start with the tax collector and work our way back to the Pharisee. So Dr. Al Moeller is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, and he, he preached a series on these parables. And in, in that, he said this about the, the tax collector. And you can understand why he would say this based on what I just told you about tax collectors. 
In the Judaism of the day, he says, the tax collector would almost assuredly have been denied access to a synagogue, which had the right to its own membership. But by God's law, the temple was a place for Israel to assemble. And this man, this tax collector, Jewish tax collector, though a tax collector, could have made his way into the court of the temple. And that's the end of the quote. So, with that in mind, why was he going to the temple? Because he was not welcome at a synagogue. So, even as you go to the temple, he is, he is it says he's standing far off. He's far off to himself. Even there, he's shunned. He's standing far off. By contrast, the Pharisee was also standing, it says, by himself. Now, with the... I want to point something out here that, that, that I think it's important. You're, you're, Jesus means you to compare how the two are standing. And with the, with the tax collector standing far off, it says, you have to ask yourself, far off from what? Far off from what? And it's likely that he wasn't just standing in a corner because he was shunned, which he was, but it's likely he's standing far off from the sanctuary, far off from the innermost part of this, the temple, far off from the Holy of Holies, right? Indicating he did not, he's far off. He did not feel worthy to come near, okay? Okay, I point that out to say this. The comparison then was that the Pharisee was standing near. He was standing near the sanctuary. He was standing. He was looking down on all the others, which his prayer is going to indicate. So in their postures, the Pharisee is the one shunning. The tax collector is the one shunned. The Pharisee feels worthy to draw near to God, very much unlike the tax collector who stands far off. He does not feel worthy to draw near. Which now brings us to their prayers. Think with me now about those. The Pharisee prays first in verses 11 and 12. This, by the way, even though it's a short parable, if you, if you just look at the prayers, the, the Pharisee's prayer is way longer than the tax collector's prayer. But the tax collector prays. It says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Amen. <laughs> now, I said that we would come back to the Pharisee where it says he was standing by himself. Um, because in, in the Greek, in, in, when Luke wrote that, he wrote it in, in Greek. In the Greek, that phrase, by himself, could be connected to two different, other, two different things in the sentence. It could be connected to standing. So it would say standing by himself, which is the way they have it here. Or it could be connected, it, by himself could also be translated to himself or about himself, and it could be connected to praying, the word praying. So it, instead of saying, it could say the Pharisee standing prayed about himself, prayed to himself even, saying. 
I think Luke intentionally left it that way, that ambiguous way, to make both points. Because he, he certainly, when you read his prayer, he certainly is praying about himself. His whole prayer is about himself. And, 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 and also, it could be he's praying to himself. Because Jesus indicates these kind of prayers don't even reach to God. He's just talking to himself. Now, as we think about this prayer, remember, the Pharisee is being presented as the one who has confidence in himself, that he was righteous. He's not, tr- he's not trusting himself, in himself to make himself righteous, but that he was righteous. And he counts the ways. How does, he, how does he see his righteousness? He sees his righteousness as morally good. You see that here? He, he's morally good as he compares himself to other people. I am not like other men, he says. I'm not like extortioners. I guess I'm honest with my money. I'm not unjust. I'm fair to people. I'm not an adulterer. I'm faithful to my wife. Jesus had something to say about that. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. He felt like he was morally good. But he also saw his righteousness as religious. He says, I fast. He doesn't just fast. He fasts twice a week, more than the law required. Historically, probably Monday and Thursday. Hedges. The law didn't require him to fast twice a week, but he did. He said, I give tithes, but of what? Of all that I get, even more than the law required, hedges. Jesus talked about Pharisees even going into their spice cabinet and, and, and tithing their mint and their dill. And notice that the Pharisee says that all of this righteousness that he sees in himself, oh, it, surely it's a gift from God. God, I thank you. I thank you. He gives lip service to God to mask any hint of pride in himself. Did you know, you probably didn't, because I didn't, um, that sounded terrible. You can know things that I don't know. Gosh. I am the Pharisee. Uh, Lordy. You probably knew, I just learned today, um, that uh, there's actually uh, another historically written down uh, prayer of a Pharisee outside the Bible um, from around the time of Jesus. I can't pronounce the guy's name, but here's the prayer. Rabbi somebody. This is the prayer he prayed, written down. I thank you. O Lord my God, that you have assigned my lot with those who sit in the house of learning and not with those who sit at street corners. For I rise early and they rise early. I rise to study the words of the law and they rise early to attend to things of no importance. I weary myself and they weary themselves. I weary myself and receive a reward while they weary themselves without gaining anything. I run and they run. I run toward the life of the age to come while they run to the pit of destruction. Amen. I mean, Jesus knew what he was talking about in this. 
And two things we need to note, note quickly about the, the, that prayer from the Pharisee. Um, one, it's all about himself, just as with that historical example. I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast. I give of all that I get. I, I am I, I, I. That's one thing. It's all about himself. And two, it's not what is, it's not just what is said, but what isn't said. Nowhere in the prayer does he confess his sins. Nowhere. There is no hint of sin of which to repent. Even though he was not nearly as righteous as he thought he was, even in the things that he mentioned in the prayer. By contrast, the tax collector standing far off, not just from the people, but from God. More posture is mentioned. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast in agonizing humility. And this is the whole prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There is no, no reference to any supposed good in himself. He actually says more than just be merciful to me. There is a way to say just that. The word that's used there in the Greek says more than that. Um, it, the word that, he's, that is translated be merciful, that word literally means atonement. It means propitiation. Do you all know what propitiation means? Propitiation is a good Bible word. You need to learn it. Propitiation means to remove wrath, to turn away somebody's wrath. Their wrath is against you. To propitiate them is to, to remove that wrath, to satisfy their wrath. That's, there's two opposite words, propitiation and expiation. Expiation is to remove my guilt. Propitiation is to remove their wrath, right? And that's what he's saying. He's not just saying, be merciful. He's saying, propitiate me. Atone for me. He knows he's a sinner. And his only hope is atonement that God himself can make for him. The Pharisee was looking at himself. His, he was looking at himself for his confidence of salvation. But the tax collector knew his only hope was outside himself in the one who was telling the parable. It was his only hope. So what's the point? Where is Jesus taking this? Think about that with me quickly. Jesus flips the expectations on their head. The world would have seen the Pharisee as the blessed one and the tax collector as the despised. They would say he's despised by many, certainly despised by God. Well, which one does Jesus say went back down to his house justified? Not the Pharisee. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That word exalts literally says hypes. Though Everybody who hypes themselves uh, will be humbled. That's the Pharisee. He, 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 he doesn't go home justified. The tax collector does. Yeah. This man went to his house justified it literally says having been justified it's passive 
that word justified is passive. In other words, the, the, the Pharisee's prayer was full of stuff that he did. I'm not like that. I fast. I give. I do this. It's all about what I do. And, and Jesus counters that with justified in passive voice. In other words, passive, justified is not something that the sinner does. It is something done to the sinner. It's not something we do. It's something we receive. Righteousness before God is not I, I am, I, I, I. It is looking away from myself, knowing that there's nothing that I can do to receive from God what only He can give me. It's His mercy to me. Believing and trusting that He's merciful. This is a beautiful parable. And one that is so deeply encouraging to sinners who know this about themselves and desire a Savior. Jesus is just showing you, you could be the most hated, rotten man on earth. You cry out for atonement and propitiation, you have it. But, and that's comfort, because I know how rotten I am. But there's also in it a good admonition, a good warning. And we'll finish with this. Um, Tom Schreiner, uh, great New Testament scholar, was my pastor in Louisville once upon a time. Tom Schreiner said about this parable, Modern day readers identify with the tax collector. We do, don't we? I mean, like, nobody reads that and goes, yeah, I'm the Pharisee. Modern day readers identify with the tax collector. But in the process, he says, we have unconsciously uttered the prayer, thank God I am not like that Pharisee. Showing that the heart of the Pharisee still lives in all of us. Bottom line, this is a good parable to admonish us to run to Jesus and just keep running to him because we never graduate from our need of him. That's the person who enters the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for oh, beautiful parables like this one. Lord, save us from being the Pharisee. Lord, we this is a good this is a good parable to to be married to what we thought about on Sunday about passing judgment on other people when we practice the very same things. Lord, would you spare us from being the, the Pharisees? Would you make us more like the tax collector who know, we know our sin. I know I don't deserve any good thing from your hand. Lord, help me to quit pretending like I do and treating others like I do. Lord, make us humble. Help us to run to Jesus and keep running to him. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.